everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is already in the process of starting a John ja Morant fan club. How you doing today, man? Speaking of starting things, we're going to start the show off a little bit differently. Rather than doing a college football play, uh, spotlight, we are just going to go straight to NFL action. Of course, we're going to talk about the biggest moves that took place at the NFL trade deadline and the uh, breaking news that came out today that finally, after a two-and-a-half-year bid, the Cleveland Browns have finally freed Odell. Now the biggest question with that is, now what? Um, in addition to that, of course, we're going to talk about what life is going to look like for the Lakers with LeBron out for this next week. And then we're going to close out the show um, figuring out if Lou Will is the greatest six-man of all time. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and uh, fellow export writers. Previous episodes are a lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, like I said, we're going to kind of skip ahead in the program and we are going to go straight into talking about week eight. Here's what happened. The Packers ended the Cardinals' undefeated uh, season, 24-21. to Eagles get back on track against the Lions, 44-6. Rams beat up on Texans, 38-22. Seahawks beat Jazz, I mean Jazz, 31-7. Uh, Bills beat the Dolphins in a division matchup, 26-11. Panthers beat Falcons, 19-13. Steelers beat Browns, 15-10. Jets beat Bengals 34-31. Titans edge out the Colts in overtime 34-31. 49ers beat uh, Bears 33-22. Patriots upset Chargers 27-24. Saints upset Bucks 36-27. Uh, Broncos beat Washington 17-10. Dallas Cowboys beat the Minnesota Vikings Monday Night Football despite not having Dak Prescott 20-16. And then the Chiefs survived the New York Giants Monday Night Football 20-17. to uh, You and I both ended up going 8-7. and seven. Now, while this week's games were pretty cool, the biggest news from any of them are some of the injuries that came after. For example, Packers lose tight end Robert Tunyon for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. Jameis Winston is out for the season with a torn ACL. This is more of a mental health thing, but wide receiver for the Falcons, Calvin Ridley, announced that he was going to be taking a few uh, some time off to focus on his mental health and here at the X Report we understand so take all the time you need brother get right because if you're not right nothing else will be uh pack I'm sorry not Packers Cardinals quarterback could potentially be out for the next one to three weeks deal with the ankle injury uh Saints patiently await the return of wide receiver Michael Thomas but it is not happening he suffered a setback with his recovery and he is not expected to play this year and then, of course, I have to save the biggest for last, Derrick Henry. It seems like somebody who never goes down is down with a potential with a foot injury that could potentially end his season. So far, the Titans have signed Adrian Peterson in hopes of him being the guy. But Ethan, this this hurts. Talk to me. What what was going through your mind, and how you think AP is going to fit into this offense? Oh. Uh. 
Do you trust Ryan Tannehill? crazy to think wow like he he can go down too um with regards to the titans though i mean ap is like you mentioned a living legend but ap has not played like one in years and it's going to be tough to i mean on virtually any running back you were able to try to bring in in the free agent market is gonna not it's gonna feel like not much especially considering you're who you're losing but I understand the logic behind AP, but we'll see how it goes. And with regards to Ryan Tannehill, honestly, I don't even think it's fully... Of course, like, the pressure is going to be on Ryan Tannehill, but I think he's not really the one who has to step up. I think that Julio is the one who has to step up. I mean, not saying you bring in Julio in case things like this happen. You brought him in to strengthen your offense, but now that he's here, it's definitely like, hey, look, this is when we need you to go. I don't know if you... Ryan and AJ need to go on some mini vacation to work on your chemistry or what, but like we need you at your best. We need you to be able to go at a moment's notice because, like you mentioned, like we talked about how inconsistent the trio has been um, throughout the season. And now, if they're going to have any real success, especially beyond their division, because they're, they're going to win that, but. They have to get all on one accord. So it's going to be very interesting seeing what life is like without Derrick Henry. I'm, it'll be fascinating. And then y'all got you guys face the Rams this week. So that's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. But all right, Ethan, what were your top three takeaways from this past week? Top three takeaways are that even though Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID, he is the most. He's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL to go into a game against the Cardinals without 
If you would have told me earlier this season that they barely beat the Giants, I would look at you like you were crazy. But yeah, I definitely feel you on a lot of those points. As we all know, you can check out my takeaways for every game on the extraport.net. Y'all already know that by now. All right, let's talk the players or units that we were most impressed by, disappointed by in our rookie of the week. In terms of who I was most impressed by, I'm going to say the Jets' offense. I mean, the Bengals' defense definitely was has been much improved from where it was a year ago, but the Jets' offense really had their best showing of the season, whether it be looking at their run game with their rookie Michael Carter really coming to his own, or, for example, um, had them having their best showing, scoring their first 30-point game of the season, racked up over 500 yards of offense. I was not expecting that out of the Jets. Um, who I was most impressed by, I was most impressed by the Saints defense just being able to, um, you know, handle that Bucks offense and put out a W. All right, who I was most disappointed by, I'm going to say Carson Wentz. This is a divisional game. It's something that can really help keep you alive in the race for the um, AFC South title. And two crucial interceptions by Carson. I remember the first one was um, late in the fourth quarter when they're at, what, the two-yard line when he should have just thrown it away and instead that he just throws it into the hands of a um, tight safety. That was a terrible decision. And, of course, that interception in overtime for your quarterback, you want him to be better, especially in those clutch moments. Um, who I was disappointed by, I was disappointed in uh, Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs offense. Like I said, simply put, when you go into a game against the New York Giants, I was assuming that it was going to be a blowout. And the fact that they, I think they only scored, what, 17? Mm-hmm, 2017. Yeah, like, that was a, that was a huge letdown. I understand. And then the for my rookie of the week, I'm going Michael Parsons. Had a great game against the Vikings. 11 tackles, four tackles for loss. Really was just all over the field, and it looks like he's really coming into his own as a pro. Yeah, for me, it's Michael Parsons as well. You know, I going into it, I felt like he was the runaway player for the defensive player of the year. I know his first game, he had some struggles at linebacker. But now that they switched him to the end, I think that he's found his place in the NFL and he's going to wreck that. Absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and talk uh, the latest trades. Of course, starting with one of the biggest havoc wreakers in the league, Von Miller, was traded from the Denver Broncos. And you think, okay, a trade is going to happen. If you had told me the Rams were going to be the team to do it, I would not have believed you. But, in fact, he was traded to the Los Angeles Rams for a 2022 second and third round draft pick, which is going to put him right on the same defense with, of course, Jalen Ramsey, but more importantly, Aaron Donald. Since coming into the league, Von Miller has the most sacks since 2011 at 110.5. Aaron Donald has the most sacks in the NFL since he entered the league in 2014, 90 and a half. Safe to say, it's going to be pretty tough going up against this Rams front. Uh, also, in other news, the Steelers traded uh, linebacker Melvin Ingram to the Chiefs for a six-round pick. The Chiefs traded uh, former starting guard uh, Laurent DuVernay-Tardif to the Jets for tight end Dan Brown. And another move, but 
It matters to me. Go Tigers. Uh, the Denver Broncos traded away rookie corner, Kerry Vincent Jr., to the Eagles for a 2022 second-round pick. I mean, sixth-round pick. So, going back to this Von Miller trade to L.A., how do you like this fit, and what do you think it does for this Rams team? structure to try to win five years from now or ten though they want to win this year and this is definitely a move to help facilitate that I mean they noticed that they have some struggles in their secondary why not get one of the league's top pass rushers to help fix that because a quarterback is not going to be as accurate as they want to be if they are getting pressure coming at them from every direction I mean it's hard enough for offensive linemen to try to block Aaron Donald and then tasking them with having to block um Von Miller, too. That is a lot that you were trying to get from this team. So, yeah, no, I think it's a great deal. And I'm a really big fan of it for Von, too, just because in what he said, you know, I went to bed 4-4 four and four and I woke up 7-1. and one. Like, and I, as a fan of Von Miller, the player, I really hope that this works out, not just, you know, statistically, but also that he can really continue to remind people why he is such a force. But all right, let's talk about some cuts that were made. Shortly... After less than a few weeks on the roster, the Packers have cut linebacker Jalen Smith. The Rams released wide receiver Deshaun Jackson after not being able to trade him. And I mentioned it at the top of the show, and I mentioned it again. The Browns have finally freed Odell. Despite having some conversations with teams ahead of the trade deadline, it just was not happening. And it seemed pretty clear from not just football fans – that Odell needed to be traded. It was quite a bit of drama as well. His father posted a video of Baker missing him or times that Odell was wide open and Baker didn't get him the ball. And it led to Odell being excused for practice for two straight days. And uh, head coach Kevin Stefanski told the team that essentially Odell is not on the team. Well, now he's not. And I could not be happier because finally Odell is free. But the biggest question now is now what? What is next? For Odell Beckham Jr. Being honest, in my opinion, I hate to say this, but I think this is a move that I think him being released is a perfect settle for him to get signed by the Chiefs. We both know that the Chiefs, they've been outside of Tyreek Hill and um, Travis Kelsey, they've been weak at wide receiver and skill position. And I feel like if you're going to have 
approach to some type of deal. That would make a whole lot of sense for both sides. And honestly, I wouldn't be mad at it because, like you mentioned, I mean, their skill positions outside. Well, Tyreek Hill has, and Travis have kind of been not playing up to their usual level of greatness this season. So I could definitely see Odell going there and being a big fit. He probably had to take a big pay cut, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you're going to be on a team that's going to pass the ball because no matter what, I feel like Odell is going to try to go to a team that is going to pass the ball. Um, with that being said, where does Odell go? Honestly, I've really been banging the drum for the Saints, and I still think the Saints would be a great move, but I don't know if he'd want to go to a team that's like – kind of in quarterback flux right now. So while the Chiefs could make sense, I'm going to go with their individual rival. I'm going to say the Raiders. Um, we'll talk about Henry Ruggs in a second, but, I mean, this team needs a star on the outside. They need a star wide receivers. That's something that they have not had in a very, very long time. You put Odell on the same team with Derek Carr, and instantly you're going to get a connection. You're instantly going to – he's instantly going to become a top target. Darren Waller, of course, is going to get his touches, but there's not really anybody on the outside that you respect or that you're really expecting to do too much. So putting Odell with the Raiders would make a lot of sense. Of course, you can make arguments for teams like the Packers and stuff like that, but the Raiders are – a bit desperate right now. And while they're still, like, their season is in good standing, they still have a chance to make the playoffs and all that, 100%, I think that this would be a great move by them if they were able to sign Odell. But as a fan, long as Odell is going somewhere he can ball out, that's all I care about. But uh, kind of mentioning the Raiders and Henry Ruggs, um, he was involved in a tragic car accident um, just a few days ago where – he was driving 156 miles, and his blood alcohol level was at 161, over twice the legal limit. Unfortunately, it did end up costing the life of a, another driver. And it's just a really tragic situation. As we know, um, the, Ra the Raiders decided to release Henry Ruggs. He was recently in court, um, I guess, to get processed. But it's still overall just a really sad situation. And so... Just not even looking at it from a football lens because I'm sure it's very clear that for Henry Ruggs, football is not on his mind right now. But just I just want to take time to send my thoughts and prayers to everybody involved in that situation because it is really a tragedy and it easily could have been avoided. and prayers up to the family 
absolutely. No, it is really a tragedy. And I just pray for resolution in that situation, whatever that may mean. But all right, kind of moving on to a lighter note. We're moving on to the Big Easy, as we talked about a bit ago. My main man, Jameis, is out for the year with a torn ACL. And so now it leaves the Saints with the question of what to do at quarterback. They announced that this week they're going to start Trevor Simeon, who came in in relief of Winston this past week. But quite a few people are still saying that they should look on the outside. For example, uh, the pro football of uh, – yeah, Pro Football Focus podcast said, I think Cam Newton should be the person that they target. But then reports have come out that retired quarterback Philip Rivers said that if the Saints were to give him a call, he would be open to playing. So, in your opinion, should they, A, tough it out with what they have in Trevor Simeon and um, Taysom Hill, B, sign Cam Newton, or C, call Philip Rivers? Being completely honest, I will go with C call for the Rivers. Um, as much as I love Cam Newton, I think that last season he, it was shown that he wasn't able to effectively throw a football anymore. And I know that Sheila Rivers doesn't have the best, the greatest arms either, but I feel like the game chasing for the Rivers versus the game chasing Cam Newton is a night and day difference. Like, for the Rivers shows that he can still lead an offense and make plays, whereas Cam showed that he had some struggles. And I hate to say Trevor Simeon Simeon and um, Taysom Hill, they aren't the answer there. Especially if you, you know, when you have a fan base, the type of fan base that you have in New Orleans that is a passionate fan base that's emotionally attached to the team, you want to put the best product out there for that team. And I think that I agree. I would also say Phillip Rivers mainly also think that he gives them their best chance to win. I think that with Cam Newton, we saw last season with the uh, Patriots that it just it was not a fit. And, of course, you can make the argument for the, the offense that was being run, but they even made accommodations that just did not work. Um, Taysom Hill, we saw some instances of him starting, and it wasn't that impressive. Same for Trevor Simeon throughout his career. And I think that would call – Calling Philip Rivers, I mean, it's a low-risk move. It's not like you're paying him a whole bunch of money. You would just be done with them after the year. You just need somebody to help stay afloat. Because this is a team, especially with their defense, that could be in the wild card. They are not a team to be automatically assumed that they're just not – they can't make the playoffs. But it's really going to come down to what they do at quarterback. And, I mean, we saw what Philip Rivers was able to do with the Colts last season. And I think that he will be able to do something similar for the Saints. So, I think that would be my course of action. But all right, um, early this week, it was announced October's Players of the Month. And like we did last month, we're just going to say which ones we agree and disagree with. So, or if there's anybody we would change. So, starting out of the NFC Offensive Player of the Month, repeat selection. Um, Cooper Cup, wide receiver for the Rams, had 38 receptions, 557 receiving yards, and five touchdowns. I don't have any gripe with that. Yeah, me neither. All right, AFC Offensive Player of the Month, running back Jonathan Taylor, rushed for 478 rushing yards, had 195 receiving yards, and scored seven total touchdowns. He's been playing a huge role for the Colts. I have no issue. Yeah, I think that's a good call, too. 
All right, now out of the NFC Defensive Player of the Month, Devondre Campbell, linebacker for the Green Bay Packers, has had 45 tackles, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, and an interception. While this may be, I guess, more of a controversial decision, I'm good with this. I think that the Packers' defense has looked a lot better with Devondre Campbell made in the middle of that defense, and their run defense has been great because of him. So I'm actually not mad at this. All right, and then look, showing some love to the Titans, AFC Defensive Player of the Month, Kevin Bayard, um, got it after getting seven, I mean, 27 tackles, seven pass deflections, three picks, a forced fumble, and a fumble return for a touchdown. I got no beef with it. Yeah, me All right, now for Rookie of the Month, Offensive Rookie of the Month was selected to be running back Najee Harris, who rested 356 yards, 124 uh, receiving yards and four total touchdowns. I'm sorry. There is no offensive rookie who's looked any better than Jamar Chase. I mean, literally, he had almost half of Najee Harris's total yards in one game. Y'all just don't want to give it to Jar- Jamar back-to-back months. Yeah, I'm going to agree. This is Jamar Chase, and it's not all right, and defensive rookie of the month. This was a bit of a shock for me, but linebacker Nick Bolton for the Kansas City Chiefs, 43 tackles, seven tackles for loss. At first, when I first saw this, I was like, I mean, somebody else had to have played better. But Mike had been kind of quiet these last few weeks, and no other real defenders have done too much. This rookie, this rookie defensive class has been kind of quiet. Asante Samuel hasn't done too much. So because – after I compared the numbers, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, because you are right. Like, Micah, he hasn't really, after I think, after you said it, he did have a quiet couple weeks. So I definitely agree with you there. <laughs> Hopefully, he turns it back on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that, I'm hoping that Sunday night will be a catalyst for him. But all right, let's play a quick game of Believable or Refunery, starting with Aaron Rodgers, who it was announced will be missing a primetime matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs after it was announced that he had tested positive for COVID. Problem being, there are some questions that revolve around that. Initially, he said that he was vaccinated, but it, in the report that came out, it said he was unvaccinated. Then there was a story of he tried to use alternative methods to get vaccinated it's kind of confusing but needless to say some it has rubbed some people the wrong way um Chris Broussard on the first things first on ESPN said Aaron Rodgers was downright deceitful deceitful I have more respect for Kirk Cousins Lamar Jackson Carson Wentz even Kyrie this makes him come off as a phony believable or buffoonery Aaron Rodgers deserves to be punished for this COVID fiasco I think he does simply because if you're going to, you know, falsify information and deceive people by saying you're vaccinated, especially when I'm not going to say it's fully recommended by, I mean, fully um, required by the NFL, but it's severely recommended and you say that you are, but you actually aren't, I think you should be punished because, you know, in life, if you lie to someone, and they find out that you lied, you're going to receive repercussions for lying. 
So just because he's an amazing quarterback, that doesn't—I feel like that this shouldn't put him above um, being reprimanded. Yeah, fair enough. I think that I'll say it like this: I think that the level of reprimandment he gets wouldn't be as severe in like with the NBA as opposed to what it'd be with like the NBA, especially with how much they're really trying to crack down on it and make sure everybody is vaccinated. So. But, yeah, I think he'll probably get some reprimand and probably a fine or something. I doubt they'd suspend him or anything since he already is going to be missing a game. But, yeah, he does deserve to be punished. I mean, especially with such a hot-button topic. Either you're vaccinated or you're not. There's really no in-between. All right, last question. With the late their latest win over the Minnesota Vikings, it has people pretty high on the Cowboys right now. So high, in fact, that Dan Orlovsky – um, said on Get Up, which is on ESPN. As of right now, the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC. I'm calling buffoonery. I would go with the Rams. Yeah, I would say the Rams or the Bucks, honestly, before I said the Cowboys. Yeah. The Cowboys have the best offense, but as far as complete team, it's Rams and Bucks for me. <sighs> yeah, I guess I, I, I'll agree with you as the best offense. I mean, the Rams' offense has been looking. Would I even put them over the Bucks' offense? No, I'm, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that. I think that their defense is playing much better than they were last year, but even still, that doesn't make them good. Out, yeah, nah. I wouldn't say all that, but I do think that they're at worst top three in the division. I mean, they look great. But I'm not putting them over the Rams, and the Bucks is a definitely a stretch. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks. Uh, starting with the Houston Texans versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Dolphins. I got Dolphins. This just would have been a very awkward thing if they did end up doing like a Tua and Deshaun Watson trade. That would be. That'd be that would have been weird. It would have been so weird, especially with this game. All right, Denver Broncos versus the Dallas Cowboys. I got Cowboys. Cincinnati Bengals hope to get back in the win column um, against the Cleveland Browns. Right now, the Browns are, yeah, they are in a bit of a state of flux right now. I'm going Bengals. Yeah, I'm going Bengals also. Baltimore Ravens versus the Minnesota Vikings. I got Baltimore, but I think that this is going to be a game that's going to mess up, mess with my blood pressure. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders taking on the New York Giants. I got uh, Raiders. I got Raiders. New Orleans Saints versus the Atlanta Falcons. I'm sorry, Atlanta. I just, it's hard to pick y'all right now. I got Saints. I think their defense can pull it out for them. Yeah, I'm in the Greens. Buffalo Bills versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got Bills. I got Bills. New England Patriots versus the Carolina Panthers. This is a game that I low-key feel like could go either way, but I'm just going to ride it out with the Patriots. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I will say the Chargers better win this game for their sake. Yeah, I'm going Chargers. Um, Arizona Cardinals versus the San Francisco 49ers. I got Cardinals. Cards. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Green Bay Packers minus Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron was playing, I would go Packers. But since it's Jordan Love, I'm going Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs. Los Angeles Rams versus the Tennessee Titans. Sunday night football. I got Rams. Rams. All right, finally, Monday night football. 
The Pittsburgh Steelers play host to the Chicago Bears. I got Steelers. You know what? I'm not mad about that. Give him, I mean, Justin Fields played really well. Well, pretty well. This past week had over 100 rushing yards, so hopefully that'll be the start of something. But all right, so what players are we offensively looking at, defensive looking at, in our rookies we are looking at? Offensively for me, Jordan Love. This will be his first NFL start um, of his career. I mean, hell, there was a lot of talk that he could potentially have been the starter all year for the Packers, but now this will be his chance to do it. Dueling with Patrick Mahomes, and while he may not be the Patrick Mahomes that we're used to, it's still a pretty big deal. So I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm putting my eyes on uh, Jordan Love. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you with Jordan Love. Like you said, it is his first official start as an NFL quarterback. And who better to have a first start against than the um, golden boy of the NFL, Patrick Mahomes? All right, defensively, I am watching my main man, Marlon Humphrey. Our last game, he got cooked against a former LSU Tiger. And on Sunday, he's going to be tasked to go up against another talented LSU Tiger in Justin Jefferson. I love Jay Jettas, and I like Adam Thielen a lot, but I better see a better game from Marlon Humphrey than what we saw a couple weeks ago. Uh, for me, I am going to be looking at defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons for the Tennessee Titans simply because the I feel like the Tennessee Titans defense is this weird enigma. One week they shut out, basically shut out the Kansas City Chiefs. Then the next week they let Carson Wentz look like the former MVP that he used to be, or MVP caliber player that he used to be. But I think in order for the Titans to win, they're going to have to stop, um, get to Matthew Stafford and create um, create turnovers. And I think it's going to happen if Jeffrey Simmons plays to his best ability. All right. For me, the rookie I'm watching, this is the first time I would say Devontae Smith. He's been kind of quiet in his first year with the Eagles, but I mean, let's be honest, the Eagles offense hasn't been much to really talk about. But I think that for them to beat the Chargers, he has to be on his A game and uh, really help stretch the field. And I think that this could be a game that they could potentially win, but he and Jalen really have to get on the same accord. Uh, for me, this is going to be Justin Fields. Like you stated, he had a pretty decent game last week. And then he is going up against a really dangerous Steelers defense as far as rushing the passer. And so I feel like in order for them to get a win, he's going to have to move around. Like he's going to have to utilize his athletic ability. And that's going to get them a dub if he can run around and create havoc. All right, and then teams were calling out Baltimore. I need you to win this. Look, I know we just came off a of bye. Historically, John Harbaugh has been pretty great coming off of bye weeks. But the Vikings are a very fickle team. They can have games like this past Sunday where they do nothing and others where they look like the greatest show on turf. We need to win this game. We need to get ourselves back into getting back in our mojo, keep atop the AFC North. Just handle your your business, and we should come out fine. For me, I'm calling out the Arizona Cardinals simply because, bro, you guys better not lose to the 49ers. I I understand y'all lost to the Packers without their top weapons, and that, in my opinion, was a bad look. I understand you guys are also adjusting to not having J. 
numbers are bad. And if you lose to them, I think a lot of the credibility that you guys earned at the beginning of the season will slowly start to, like, dissipate. I feel you on that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways on um, the, the Russell Westbrook experience in L.A. is still in development. LaMelo Ball is really exciting, but and the Charlotte Hornets are a really exciting team. And the Miami Heat are a monster of a team. I saw it firsthand. I went to the game where they played Memphis, and they destroyed my business. I mean, I'm sure it was nothing personal. It's just ball. Yeah, I feel you on that, though. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the East, I'm actually going to go with DeMar DeRozan. I know you and I kind of talked about not exactly liking the fit of him being with the Bulls, but, I mean, he, this past week he has had some pretty – Great games, back-to-back, 37-point games. In fact, against Philly, he had a double-double. Then had a 32-point uh, game against the Jazz. Really just seems to be coming into his own with this team, particularly with Zach Levine kind of dealing with the injury. He's looked really good and is really being that offensive uh, firepower that he we've known him to be, especially during his time with the Raptors. So I'm going to go show some love to DeMar. Um, for me, since you said DeMar, I'm going to go with Jimmy Butler man has been playing like a man possessed. Like I said, I was at the Grizzlies game and he did he looked hands down like the best player on the court. He was getting to his spots wherever he wanted. He was making tough shots. And it was a little bit of something personal left for the game for the heat. I remember hearing reports of them being pissed off last season when Jai hit the game winner and he had the call twelve. Because this game, essentially, they asked the players if they want to sit out because it was the second game of a back-to-back, and they all said no because they were mad at what John did the season before. And Jimmy Butler showed that he was that dude. Yeah, then that. Uh, Out of the Western Conference, my mom is going to be Luka Doncic. I mean, he's just doing what Luka Doncic does, which is just everything. I mean, really been a driving force for the Mavs this past week. Had a nice double double against the um, against the uh, Saints. Saints, wow, the Spurs um, last just a couple nights ago. Also had a thirty-three point performance against Miami. Had a double double against the Kings. Really, just been a busy, busy man this week. For me, my. So moving on to my rookie of the week. I'm going to show some love to Kay Cunningham, participating in his first NBA games this past week. And while the first two, um, they weren't perfect, but definitely showed his hustle. He really kind of balled out um, just last night against the uh, 76ers, eight, 18 and 10 in 31 minutes. It's really He's really progressing quickly to the game, and I'm excited to see what more he can do as his, the season rolls on. Starting to adjust to the speed of the NBA, and 
to the Phoenix Suns. And unfortunately, this is not a fun topic. We have heard of numerous racist or misogynistic owners um, around all of sports. And the latest one seems to be that of Robert Sarver, the majority owner of the Phoenix Suns, who in a scathing report uh, reported by ESPN, um, it was a lot that took place, one of which being multiple uses of the N-word. Um, other, other instances were, it was an instant with regards to wanting to recruit uh, free agent LaMarcus Aldridge in the summer of 2015. Um, here's how the story apparently goes. The team knew that Aldridge had young children in Texas and that playing near them was appealing. Um, during the recruitment, uh, Sarver remarked to two basketball operations staffers that the Suns need to have local strippers impregnated by NBA players so those players would have children in the Phoenix area and feel, obli feel obliged to be closer to them, giving the Suns a potential edge in free agency. That's interesting. Um... So, yeah, that's just a bit of what was announced. It's pretty heavy stuff, and that's just a little bit of what's taking place. Um, if you are the Phoenix Suns, what do you do? How do you act after this news has come out? Obviously, the most immediate steps in action would be he would have to be removed as owner. But I also understand that that is a process where, if I'm not mistaken, all the owners of teams in the NBA have to vote in order to remove someone as an owner. But I think that that is the immediate step. At the end, if that step is taken, you have to consistently remove all, all time that you have with this man as your owner. And you have to come out with numerous statements saying, like, us as an organization, that is not what we condone or believe in. And also, you know, like, it also is just sucks because it's like, it's, it's, in my opinion, it shows one of the biggest flaws in sports, whereas you have all of the, the individuals that own these teams and are general managers of these teams are, you know, older, out of date, out of touch, Caucasian men that are owning teams that are predominantly African, African American led organizations why and the NBA itself for me is it's so it's grown in so many ways of being proactive but one of the ways I feel like they haven't grown is having a black owner in the NBA and this is a perfect example of why I think that they should have multiple ethnicities being owners in the NBA because like I know, you know, it's one of those things where it's very tough to hit, but it's hard to, it's hard for a lot of, I feel like it's hard for a lot of people to understand, like, we have these racist, misogynistic owners of sports teams when you have, in my opinion, one of the hugest activists 
change their process of how they um, bring about people owning things and hold people accountable. Like you hold athletes accountable. Like if an athlete were to say something crazy on Twitter and it gets found out, essentially you would see the athlete be cut within a matter of days. Why not? And we need to hold the owners and the people that are in higher up positions with the same accountability that you want to hold these players to. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, you pretty much hit it right on the head. Because I think that with owners, it's I, it's harder to get rid of them as opposed to the players because players are kind of seen as replaceable. Even the superstar players. I mean, we see them get traded or let go time and time again whenever they mess up too much. And so with owners, I think that because it does go into that power structure of an organization, because while we may know all these players' names and know this and that about them, the owners are more so behind the scenes. And so with that, and because usually, of course, they're they're rich and, like you mentioned, they're older, they're kind of in this position where they feel like they're untouchable and they don't have to really do anything in order to have success. So, yeah, I 150% agree with you. I do think they need to do something um, to get him out of there. I remember the Clippers at the time were doing a boycott of the team and really didn't even want to play um, until Donald Sterling was taken out. I'm interested to see if the Suns decide to do something along those lines as well. All right, let's go ahead and move on to one of those superstars, LeBron James, who it has been announced that he is going to be out for at least um, this next week with suffering a, a abdominal strain. Now, right now, the Los Angeles Lakers are currently 5-4, and four, uh, just lost to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, 107-104. Ethan, with LeBron out, what are you expecting to happen for the Lakers? Um, I'm still, I'm still going to expect a little bit of confusion. Case in point, like you stated, they just lost to the They gave up, what, a 21-point lead against the Thunder, yeah. like, just last night. And I, I think they just want to still be some confusion because they're still adjusting to having Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony on the team. But I think really in order for them to, if they want to um, kind of right the ship, I think they're going to have to run the offense through Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is going to have to be the best player on the court. Like, Russell is going to have to be a side accommodating dish to Anthony Davis, and then is going to have to be continue to be side accommodating this to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I personally think in order for the Lakers to write their ship, Anthony Davis is going to have to be their best player because LeBron's older. He's not going to be he's he's not going to be able to turn it on. Like he's still a great player by all respects, but he's not the guy that can just turn it on on any, on every night anymore. You, you see where some days he just some games he just coast and Anthony Davis is the young guy on the squad. Russell, yes, he's relentless, but that relentlessness can cause some issues with their team. And I think that they're gonna have to go through A D to solve their shift. I definitely agree with that. I think that 
looking at that championship run that they had a couple years back, a lot of it was driven by AD and his ability to really take a lot of pressure off of LeBron. Well, now LeBron is a year and a half, almost two years older from there. And like you mentioned, we're starting to see those kind of nagging injuries come back. We're starting to see he's not able to bounce back the way that he had been. And while he still is LeBron, I mean, it's not as easy um, for him to really kind of get back on track. And so with that being said, yeah, I think that with him out, I think that it will kind of help to establish team roles. For example, like you mentioned with AD really kind of taking over and being the guy, or at least Russ, I guess, having a bit more time with the ball in his hands and being able to really kind of do some of the things that he likes to do. I think that that should be able to help out. But, yeah, I mean, this is still just a very experimental process for the Lakers. Nothing is set in stone. There's still a lot of things to be figured out with this team. But overall, I do think that uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see with LeBron out. I think that with when LeBron hasn't played, um, Russ has overall played a bit better just because, like I said, he has the ball in his hands a bit more. Um, but we shall see. I mean, a week isn't that long, especially in basketball terms. It's still very, very early into the season. But, yeah, the Lakers are definitely going through a bit of an experimental period. All right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with Boogie Cousins. Um, Nuggets coach Michael Malone had this to say about Boogie and said, I think it's crazy that DeMarcus Cousins is not in the league right now. That guy is a very, very talented player. Believable or buffoonery, DeMarcus Cousins will be signed to an NBA team before 2021 ends. I could see something like that, especially because injuries happen all the time. And I would take Boogie Cousins over a lot of the other free agent um, centers in the league. So I don't think um, personally I would I would definitely look at him as well if I needed a big man. All right, moving on to Draymond Green. Um, a lot of reports have been coming out about how much Dame wants him in Portland, and apparently he's not the only one. Uh, Draymond has had some frustration some flirtation with the Lakers and even the Trail Blazers a bit. I say if the Warriors lowball him coming off his next contract or whatever happens over the next couple of years, I could see his situation morphing into more of a breakup. So, believable or buffoonery, the 2021-2022 season will be the last years of seeing Draymond in Golden State. I'm going to say it's believable simply because I think that, you know, if you are in a situation where there is friction in the organization, and we know that Draymond has been a very vocal part of that organization for years, and if one of those guys that there's friction, then who knows, he can leave. And Draymond is one of those guys where, yes, he's been a fixture for the Warriors for years, but I can see him being like, you know what, I don't like the way things are being ran here anymore. And I'm out. And he's one of those guys that, yes, on the court, you see him as this, you know, um, boisterous, loud, kind of in-your-face brash guy. But he's had he has a lot of close friendships with a lot of guys in the NBA, one of them being Daniel Lillard. So I'm definitely, I definitely. 
agree. And I think that I think that we've we've come to know that Draymond Green is a very prideful player. While he may not be in terms of like he's gonna try to outscore everybody and this or that, like he has a lot of pride. And I feel like if it becomes a situation whether he feels like he's not being valued by the Warriors or being valued for his contributions to the team, it could definitely play a role in him leaving. So yeah, I'll say believable as well. All right, let's talk about the Boston Celtics, who on Monday night became the first team since the 1954-55 season to lose a game by 14 points after leading by over 14 points entering the fourth quarter. That came against the Chicago Bulls, a game that they lost 128-114. to Why bring that up? Well, Marcus Smart, guard for the Celtics, had some interesting comments after the game and said, only so much I can do without the ball in my hands sitting in the corner. We're running plays for our best players. Every team knows that. They do a good job of shutting that down. We can't allow that. Um, I would like to just play basketball. Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. Every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting report is to make those guys pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. That's something that they're going to have to learn. They're still learning. We're proud of the progress they're making, but they're going to have to make another step and find ways to not only create for themselves, but create for others on this team to open up the court for them later down in the game where they're always going to have to take those tough shots or take tough matchups when they do get one-on-one or bring the trap. It's something we've been asking them to do when they're learning. We just got to continue to help those guys do that to help our team. So, a lot to kind of unpack there, but believable or buffoonery. Marcus Smart made the right move calling out Jalen and Jason. I think he did simply because one of the things as an athlete, sometimes you need to be called out by your teammates. And a lot of people think it might cause friction, and it might cause friction, but Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of the Boston Celtics. We all know this. He's the emotional leader for their team. And he's the, he's the guy that you want to call out your players. It would be different if you had Grant Green to say this statement. But Marcus Smart's been the guy that's been in the locker room probably six to seven years now. And he is the guy that has been in the battles, playoff battles with these same two guys. So I think he's right for making that call out. And he honestly, in my opinion, is right because – to me, when the Celtics had their best success, they shared the basketball. It wasn't just ball dominated by one or two players. They moved the ball around. It was the Isaiah Thomas year where I think it was Jason Tatum's rookie year where you really didn't know who was going to score for them. But you knew Isaiah Thomas was going to lead them in scoring. But it was at any given night, anybody could go off type of scenario. And now he's totally okay, it's James Brown and Jason Tatum. Like, they have other capable pieces on their team and they need to get everyone involved, especially given the fact that overall, talent-wise, they don't have the most talented roster. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, um, I find it believable, too, just because I think that it really is trying to show what everybody else has noticed. I mean, like he mentioned, teams know that as the going gets tough and as the game gets down, they are going to rely heavily on Jalen and Jason. And because defenses are focusing so much on them, it really allows their teammates to really get those open shots and those extra opportunities 
But if you're not passing in the ball to utilize them, it's going to be more games like the Bulls game and other games like that where you're going to lose just because poor communication or not utilizing ball movement. And I think that for the Celtics, a team that is, like you mentioned, like may not have necessarily the strongest roster. We know that they're good at top, but they still got some thing, areas um, of concern. I think that the best way to really use, utilize this team is by spreading the ball out. As you can see, it hasn't fully been working, just relying on Jalen and Jay. So at this time, it's really just about – uh, so at this time, it's more so about utilize all the people that you can, especially as you're trying to make a run. All right, last quick piece, talking about Lou Will. Um, in a recent interview with Taylor Rooks, uh, uh, Bleach Report, he said that this will probably be his last season in the NBA. And if it is, it would be the end of a great career. Um, what Lou Will said about being the sixth man of the year, which has been his biggest calling card in his career, said, I don't know if anybody else embraced coming off the bench and being the sixth man the way that I did and turned it into a lifestyle. Believable or buffoonery, whenever Lou Will retires, he will go down in history as the league's greatest sixth man. is honestly tied between him and Jamal Crawford and maybe depending on what he does this past this upcoming season I think it's going to take yeah I would agree I think that just because he I'll say this Lou Will made being a six man cool I mean he got in multiple songs and on pop culture references for being such a good big man. He won, what, two, three, six mans of the year back to back? Yeah, like he made it seem like something that was glamorizing. Like he said, he fully embraced that role as opposed to other people who, of course, kind of focus on the starters. With him, he's on that really, I guess, acclaimed list of other cats like Amanu Ginobili or um, – a Jamal Crawford or a guy like Lamar Odom who is coming off the bench and still being playing a big role for their teams. Um, so, yeah, I can see it happening as well. But all right, let's close out the show doing our nightly game pick, starting with the Memphis Grizzlies versus the uh, Washington Wizards. I got Grizzlies. Grizz. Brooklyn Nets versus Detroit Pistons. I got Nets. I got Nets. Spurs versus Magic. I got Spurs. I got Magic. Okay. Knicks versus Bucks. I got Bucks. Um, I got Bucks. Cavs versus the Raptors. I'm going to go Raptors. Yeah, I got Raptors. Um, Los Angeles Clippers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going Clippers. I'm going Clippers. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans versus the Golden State Warriors. I'm going Warriors. Golden State. Pacers versus Trailblazers. I'm going Trailblazers. All right, last game. Hornets versus Kings. I'm going to go Hornets. Yeah, I'm going Hornets also. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to continue supporting the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy?
that would be a hell of a thing to do. Um, for me, go Tigers and go Tigers go. Wait, yeah, we had a bye last week. We play Alabama on Saturday, and we're gonna get our butts kicked. But you know, it's fine. We're just producing for the NFL right now. Baltimore, you heard what I said in the call out. Handle your business, and we'll be good. And Lakers, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what Russ is Russ is gonna do in this time. I think that while we both mentioned that AD is like gonna be the guy, I'm really excited to see how Russ handles everything. But all right, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.